The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. And we're back here and analyze this uh, great, great um, first hour, right? And we're looking forward to talking with the Department of Health uh, in uh, hour number two. And uh, Tita supposed, Commissioner Tita is supposed to be joining us uh, live uh, in the studio. We're going to be talking. Um, I don't know if they're on the line yet um, with uh, Dr. Ellis and uh, Dr. Hans Caesar. Uh, let me give you some programming notes for tonight, right? The PBS News Hour, 7 p.m. Recovery and Focus. 8 p.m. Children in Crisis, 9 p.m., right? Explore the journey of a community took to ensure health care for children. That's from 9 to 10. Miss Scarlett and the Duke of Ma- on Masterpiece. They're from 10 to 11. The story of how Eliza, Eliza and the Duke meet for the very first time. And then at 11 p.m., Funny Woman, Barbara's life changes overnight. Intoxicated by success, she embarks on a romance with Clive. And of course, you know, at midnight, I'm on poor and company. Right, you know that used to be an eleven o'clock thing, but time turned back, so we do that at midnight. I'm smiling, you know something just happened here in the ter- in, in the studio, so uh, I, I'm liking this. Uh, uh, right off the bat, I thought I thought I'd be talking to her via phone, but she blessed me with her presence here in the studio this morning. So, and she she braved the weather conditions and all that. So, I'm glad uh, to have. Uh, a big shot in the studio with me. But let me run through that real quick, right? News hour at 7, recovery and focus at 8, children in crisis at 9, Miss Scarlett and the Duke on Masterpiece at 10, funny woman at 11, I'm important company at midnight. So they told me that that the, that the, 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 the Queen Bee on St. Croix Right? right, well, a queen bee. We got multiple queen bees that popping the help. Um, was gonna be joining me via the phone, so I was like, "It's not like her. She normally likes to get in here and and have that you know face to face discussion and just you know let me know what right what going on in the Department of Health." And then, of course, uh, the Commissioner Tita in Kanashong supposed to be joining us at about nine twenty because she got some running she's dealing with. They also told me another queen bee uh, out of uh, St. Thomas is going to be joining me on the line. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, when we first started um, the gig, right, on April 27th, day two, April 28th, Department of Health, they, they, made, they made some time to join us. Of course, we were in the throes of the pandemic. The early days, Zombieville was alive and well, and... Uh, they, val- they help validate our, our existence, and since then we've been on a roll. So, let me uh, introduce um, the one and only uh, Esther Ellis, uh, Virgin Islands epidemiologist, uh, public health uh, guru, and all that good stuff to the studio. Good morning, Dr. Ellis. Glad to see you. And so, so great to be here. Wonderful to be here. The weather was so nice outside, I decided <laughs> to just walk over. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, man. Happy New I, I know Year. It's, it, it, it'll be February in another five or six days, right, or another right. week, another week. Because today is the uh, the twenty 
25th. So. Well, this is my second appearance for 2024, so I feel very blessed to of get course. to be here again well, in January of you're, 2024. Your family, so it's all good. <laughs> and, and and I believe we have uh, Dr. Tai Camille Honsiza joining us from the RAC. Good, good morning, Madam Medical Director. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Madam Founding Dean and all that good stuff at UVA Med School. You good? Everybody good? Yes, sir. Everyone's great. Okay, good. And the commissioner's going to be joining us in a little bit, right? Correct. So, uh, let me start over there and then come back to you. Um, Dr. Dr. Huntsies, good morning once again. What's the state of public health in the Virgin Islands as a medical director, from the medical director's perspective? That's a loaded question. That's, you want to talk about public health, you know. Anal- I mean, analyze that's, this. That's, that's large. Analyze this. We do it like that, you know what I'm saying? Because you can handle it. Talk, talk, talk about where we're at. Right now, it's January. Um, I took my mom's for a flu shot yesterday. So, you know, that, that's what we're dealing with. Talk to me. Yeah, right. So, I mean, we're, we're here. if you want to talk about public health, you know, we get into all of the chronic diseases that really put us in uh, a really debilitating um, you know, state in the territory as it relates to health care. But we are here because it's, it's, it's respiratory illness season in the winter months. So that is... Um, that that that's where we are, and I don't think we are necessarily in a bad place. I think that it's very uh, similar to previous respiratory illness seasons. You know, taking out the confounding COVID nineteen um, pandemic, uh, so we are seeing circulating viruses. It's not something that I think that is out of the ordinary from what we're used to seeing. I think that the public has been so sensitized to respiratory illnesses because of the COVID pandemic that we talk about it more, which is not a bad thing, you know, because in the the infectious disease community um, and the the medical community has been forever trying to get people to uh, respect what respiratory viruses can, can do um, to, to the, the human body and warning against the, you know, the unfortunate consequences of pandemic illnesses that we, of course, were thinking all along that it would be pandemic influenza, but we were crippled by a novel other virus, a coronavirus which is why it's extremely important for the public to understand that when we talk about respiratory viruses and illnesses, we have to understand that it's not always going to be COVID. It's not always going to be influenza, but there are other viruses that circulate that can be just as harmful that we all need to be cognizant about and just have respect for these viruses and be as smart as we can during these the the peak the peak season for for these viruses. Okay, uh, Dr. Ellis, as our epidemiologist, give me some data because I know that's what you good, what you're good at and what the public would like to know so that they could mentally process where we at and right. um, the kind of protections that we need to put in place personally for family and the community at large. Right. Our, our numbers are low, which is really great. So, so far, January 2024, we've seen seven reported flu cases. Um, in January of last year, 2023, there were six total reported for January. So this is about um, what we see. Uh, January usually, usually isn't our peak month. Um, we Our flu season here is usually a little bit delayed because all the travelers are coming in here in Correct. January and February, and then we have a delayed flu season a little bit after the holidays. Um, so we're not seeing any kind of spike in cases yet. We're also not seeing a spike in COVID 
post carnival, which is great. Um, in our COVID report that we just released, there were 32 new cases last week. Um, six of those were on St. Croix and 26 of those were on St. Thomas and zero on St. John. No, um, the, it's my understanding that, um, I was talking to one of my friends and he said he had just, uh, passed the emergency room about three weeks ago, right after we had our festival village. So you're saying that that was not necessarily COVID dominant. It could have been other viruses as well. Not, not necessarily. Yeah, it could have been other viruses. It could have been, uh, it could have been COVID that someone did a home test and never got reported to us. So that's mm -hmm. possible. But we do believe that we're capturing enough cases right now to still capture the trend because there are still people coming um, to Department of Health. We have free testing from 9:30 to 10:30. They're coming to get tested. A lot of people that come to get tested already know that they're positive. They did a home test that was positive, but they need that positive. Uh, result confirmed so that they can qualify for Paxlovid or any of the other therapeutics that are available at the time. And so if you do test positive at home, it is important that you get a confirmatory test from a laboratory or the Department of Health. The um, test of the Department of Health is 100% free. Um, we're open from 9.30 to 10.30 for that free test. And it's in the health van. The health van on St. Croix is located in front of the red modulars. Um, that are by the old Charles Harwood building. And the health van on St. Thomas is located at the loading dock of Schneider Regional Medical Center. And on St. John, we're there every Wednesday providing testing at the Viper Gravel lot. And um, also Myra Keating, if it's, you know, if it's not a Wednesday and you're on St. John, you need to get tested, you can go to Myra Keating. Um, Dr. Uh, Hunt Caesar, uh, what, was, what was the RSV uh, infection, infection and what is it? And, and, and what would be symptoms? Well, the respiratory syncytial virus is uh, another respiratory um, virus that typically and commonly what we have um, been, been always focusing on um, can primarily can be really detrimental to, the, to, to infants who are um, under the age of two or even under the age of five. They can get really, really awful uh, respiratory infections called bronchiolitis, and it can cause them to um, have to be in the hospital. And um, sometimes, unfortunately, this can be very bad, where it can be it can be fatal. So um, the, the the children, especially who are premature or who have um, uh, heart conditions that they are born with, they are most at risk for um, having really bad complications with the respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. Um, but just like how um, it can be bad in this population, it, it's very contagious. And so, you know, um, other people can, can get the infection. It doesn't, it's not age discriminant, but um, the, it usually is um, not as bad in the sort of like the non-infant and non-elderly um, population. Um, you're, so babies and children can spread it to their grandparents who have um, underlying chronic diseases uh, and can have really, really bad um, symptoms as well. And it's, it's very similar to the flu and COVID where you'll have cough, fever, shortness of breath. And like all of the viruses that you can get over, Sometimes, unfortunately, you can have complications after you get a virus, a viral infection um, that can lead to things like pneumonia 
So that's why it's very important that um, we uh, now have a vaccine against RSV that has been approved for individuals over the age of 60. Uh, so that's the newest thing that we should uh, that we should start to um, uh, become protected against. We need to be protected against the things that we can, especially in the elderly population that can start to have um, bad complications like we've seen with COVID and influenza over the years. Um, Dr. Ellis, the most uh, recent variant, uh, COVID variant, is the JN1. JN.1. Have we seen any in the territory? Uh, that I'm not sure. I would need to check to, with the lab. Um, we have the ability to test for that? We have been sending samples uh, for sequencing. Okay. So we actually send our samples out of the territory for sequencing right now, but we're working to build our local sequencing capacity as well. And uh, I know you also asked about what were some of the other illnesses that we saw post-carnival. Um, we did see a small spike in norovirus. Um, that's really kind of like a I guess you would call the layman's term a stomach bug. Mm -hmm. um, but we did see some cases that causes um, very um, quick onset of vomiting, followed by diarrhea and sometimes chills with a low-grade fever. Okay. Now, um, Dr. Hansies, I mentioned, um, what's it, bronchiolitis? That's what she, that's what she said um, mm -hmm. with respect to uh, RSV with, 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 with children, what have you. We're hearing a lot of discussion now about long covid Right. If you can uh, define what long COVID means, and then every time you know you're hearing uh, somebody may have a health issue, uh, people are saying, "Oh, the vaccine caused that, what have you." And you know, in doing my reading, doing my research, and talking with my friend Dwayne Henry, who was there with y'all um, at the inception, um, long COVID and the effects of having COVID uh, down the road, um, people tend to take that for granted, but. That's a real deal, isn't it, uh, Dr. Dr. Ellis and then Dr. Hunt-Caesar? Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely pass that to our medical director, Dr. Ty Hunt-Caesar, because um, she'd be the best person to speak to about the medical um, ramifications of long COVID. But from an epi side, quick before we go over to her, mm -hmm. um, we are working with the disparities group to um, do a study on long COVID in uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands okay, to determine, good. you know, how has our population been affected by long COVID? It's difficult to do because um, a lot of individuals that have long COVID aren't necessarily seeking care, which we really want to know about, too, because that's a health um, equity issue. And so reaching out to probably everybody that had COVID mm -hmm. that we know about and then understanding how do you feel now? And we have a questionnaire that we're working on developing and we'll be deploying that within the community um, shortly. Good. Um, Dr. Hunsiza, the floor is yours. The, the, what, is long COVID, what is long COVID and, um, and what are we seeing as it relates to impact? The, and there's so much I can talk to about long COVID. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, and it's not just not necessarily um, unique to, to the, the COVID-19 virus because there's so many other viruses where you can have long-term complications. So this is something that, um, you know, infectious disease physicians love to, um, to investigate and, 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 and try to encourage people to prevent yourself from getting these infections because of the, the bad things that can happen long term. And then it goes into the, the other areas and other specialties in which you have these symptoms because it's not, it's not because you have the virus that is persisting in your body for a long time. It's actually the body's response, um, like your immune response. So, you know, and, and all of the various um, uh, systems that it impacts. 
So what is long COVID? Long COVID is actually defined uh, after, you know, I think the, the definition may change, you know, as we learn more because we're still very, we're still learning uh, and we're still gathering information. But uh, we do have a definition um, that, that says that if this is going to be the persistence of symptoms that you had because of a COVID infection that persists and lasts longer than 12 weeks after the initial infection. That's really important because Sometimes someone can get, um, you know, an infection and then it will be, uh, you know, you, people want to get better fast, right? So a week afterwards, you're like, well, I'm out of quarantine and I, don't, I still ain't feeling good and I still cough in. Okay, well, that's because, you know, that's, that's a normal response to uh, a, post, a post-viral uh, response. You, you might cough um, for, for a few weeks. You know, but if you are coughing, if you are having um, shortness of breath, if you are having fatigue that's lasting longer than three weeks after, three months after your initial infection, then you're probably having exhibiting symptoms or, or manifestations of the long COVID syndrome. And that can be those, like just the symptoms of, of, of what you had. It could be that you can't smell. Um, it, can, it can be that you, you've lost your sense of taste or food is just really tasting bad. This can happen for like months after, up to a year after. Um, it can be something um, as dramatic as um, an arrhythmia or a heart condition, okay? It's something that can be really serious in which you can't really walk around and you, your activity is, in, is, is, is restricted, is limited because of the, the, the effects that it had on your, on, your, on your heart cells. It could be that you're not focusing as, um, as normal as you, as you were. You, you're not remembering things the way that you are because the virus can affect all of this, all of the systems in your body. And again, it's important to understand that people want to blame the vaccine, but really and truly what the evidence and the data and the science is showing is that these symptoms and these, um, the events, uh, the, the, these events that are occurring is really because of a naturally occurring infection. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that we we've documented that with, with other viruses as well. So I, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to take a break. Uh, we got the department of health, uh, joining us family, uh, come back, come back home. They've been away for a while, but we're glad to have them in the studio and online. I think we're going to be joined by uh, the commissioner uh, in a little bit. Um, we have an obligation to update the public as to where we are from a public health perspective, and we're looking forward uh, to having more of this discussion. Be back right after this. Opportunities at Bank of St. Croix. Bank of St. Croix offers CDs for education, homes, or vacations. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallus Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. A penalty might be imposed for early withdrawal, new money only. Funds may not be transferred from existing Bank of St. Croix accounts to CDs. Rates subject to change at any time. Fees may reduce earnings and principal. www.bankofstcroix.com. Member FDIC. 
Hi, I'm Peter Sagal. You spent the week listening to the news. Don't you think you deserve to show off what you've learned on Wait, Wait, We Give You a Chance to Impress Your Friends with Your Knowledge of International Incidents, Political Gaffes, and the Latest Advancement in German Nudists? You'll be the life of the party! Or the death. Either way, you'll make an impression and you can thank Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Saturdays at 1 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. He said that black smoke was constantly coming out of the burn pits 24-7. And my reaction to it was like, wow, that doesn't sound very safe. wonder what that's about. And in my mind, I couldn't imagine at the time that type of system operating could potentially harm our service members. Journalism that seeks and reveals. That's On Point with me, Meghna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. How do we know words? How do we accumulate words? Writer Edna O'Brien. Are they there in us before we know them? She follows a quest many writers can understand. As if these words were the generators of some kind of magic. Authors, artists, sports, news, and maybe even some magic. Every Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. And and we're back here and analyze this. And we have been joined by the shot caller. You know what I'm saying? Um, Madam Commissioner Atita Encarnacion. Good morning, Commissioner. Glad to have you in the studio. Good morning. It's always a pleasure to be here. It was a doubt. And um, we were talking about uh, long COVID and, and, and how we're learning, which brings me to something. Um, good morning once again, uh, Dr. Hans Caesar. Glad to have you here uh, this morning. When I asked that question, I heard you um, using the term fascinating, and, and, and Dr. Ellis said something along the same lines. Um, I get the impression that this is very much a learning experience for even the medical professionals, professionals like yourself. Explain to the public why you would use the term fascinating um, because uh, I believe I know what the answer is, but I want to hear it from you as it relates to where we were four years ago and where we are now. I'll start with, I want all three of you to speak on this. I'll start with you, Dr. Huntsiza. Well, I use the word fascinating when, uh, when I was describing how you can have um, examples of um, uh, an event that happens that you think, okay, well, you know, once you get over the event, that's it. Some people experience that, and then you have a whole subset of individuals who have all these kind of chronic symptoms, and they're so convinced that it's because they still have that event happening and it's ongoing, and it's not. We've seen this with Lyme's disease. We see this with, with um, sometimes the influenza virus. We've seen this with many different other viruses, we've seen this with chikungunya. We've seen this with all types of many, and not even just like viruses in the same family. Many different viruses that, that happen, that, that cause different problems, 
that that come from different um, genuses and species, but yet what happens is you have your body uh, responding, the immunologic response that can that that your body launches, and it causes all kinds of different things for you know um, for long periods of time. And it doesn't have anything to do with the with the the virus or the bacteria that that initially um, had the, had the problem, and then you're going to have to spill over to the other specialties like the rheumatologist, the cardiologist, the neurologist, to have to treat those symptoms. But immunology should be able to help, and we need to do more research on that to see how can we address the immune response that can sometimes be. Um, enhanced or stronger or more bothersome in some individuals. So there's, it, 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 it's fascinating how one thing can lead to another and it doesn't have to do anything with the individual organism. So I just think it's fascinating and you know, we just always have to work together with it, it, all, it, all the internal medicine professionals, uh, you know, we, 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 we come together to try to, to help as best as possible, but it sometimes is not just um, one person. Can we talk about that, that learning dynamic and, and, and how um, we're literally, and from an educational standpoint and, uh, and science, uh, better off today than we were four years ago? Well, before, before I do that, I'd like to challenge Dr. Hunt Caesar a little bit because one of the things that you said, Dr. Hunt Caesar, is that it's not linked or it's not associated with the initial virus or whatever that species is. However, it is as a result of it. So there's a link to that. And a lot of the public health officials that I meet with on a weekly basis are actually in a quandary to actually explain the concept of long COVID because there's so many other comorbidities now and symptoms that can be linked with long COVID. It's very difficult to define. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. when you're looking at insurance companies, when you're looking at um, the care that's actually being provided, how do you care for someone that you cannot define or describe the linkage between one and the next? Yes. So it absolutely is a, is a cause and effect situation, which is why it's so important to, to underscore what prevention is about. And when you talk about the you know the some of the symptoms of like long covid and some of the things that 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 spill over i mean it's it's so important to there's so many things right it could be just um we're, we're talking about symptoms but one of the biggest impacts that covid-19 has had um on the people that it's affected is the unmasking and the 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 link and association that it has to diabetes mm-hmm. um and, and, and we have seen that that is absolutely um, something that has um, that has been a major problem and concern in individuals who have who were already predisposed to diabetes. What it has done to uh, you know to the to the the insulin receptors and the pancreas um, you know after with someone who's been infected, and then so we're seeing more diabetes now, and mm-hmm. we we already have. Um, more than the national average of diabetes um, uh, rates in the, in the territory, and we have so much complications and and things that happen well, um, to to our territory with, with Hans, diabetes. So we're yeah. we're also seeing autoimmune changes that we don't that we did not see before, 
And that Absolutely. could be linked with COVID-19 mm-hmm. as well. Autoimmune changes, we are actually seeing um, a lot of more asthmatics, cardiac anomalies, especially in the teenage population. That's one of the reasons why we stopped Janssen and Janssen. And so there's so many different things. So that was actually attributed to the vaccine. However, a lot of what we're seeing is in, is attributed to the virus itself because look at it, it mutated so many times. The things that, that it, we are experiencing in our bodies is an effect of what the changes that we're seeing with the virus itself. So, and that, and, and you, you speak, um, um, Senator, about the education, and this is all we're speaking about, right? The educational aspect of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. The individuals need to know that, you know, having COVID-19 may not, and some of the symptoms, the taste, let me just talk about the taste. Some people lost their ability to taste and smell for days, some for weeks, and sometimes actually for a couple of years. So, and that's something that I have to tell you that one time I said, okay, well, it's just taste. It's not just taste. It actually affects the mentee as well. So there are a lot of emotional changes that can occur. Dr. Ellis, um, I had COVID before we had documented COVID in the territory. Um, January 2020, um, thought I had the flu. Didn't realize that it was COVID until like two, three months later. And the, the, the reason why I know it was, it was COVID because there's certain things you can go to when you get back your appetite, right? And when I bit in my tuna fish sandwich, it tastes like rubber. <laughs> Telling you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, this doesn't mean that um, your, your agency was wrong. It just means that, you know, from a knowledgeable standpoint, what we knew, what we didn't know, looking backwards, our uh, agency is never wrong. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Just, just from a, a documented and technical perspective, mm-hmm. the first COVID was March 13th, right? right, right? right. Of 2020. Yeah. That's the, that's D Day, <laughs> D Day in Virgin. I was like, uh-huh. when when we were stormed at Normandy Beach, right? It was November. It was Friday, March, thir- March 13th. <laughs> it was, it was Friday, March 13th. I remember yeah, exactly yeah. where I was. Friday, March 13th, and. <laughs> And, and, and he said, oh, my God, is here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, um, you know, so we start this program like a month and a half later. And one of the things Ronnie Russell said, he said, Neville, <clears throat> he said, Neville, we've been getting uh, immunization shots all our life. Mm-hmm. Right? We'd line up at school when public <laughs> health would show up. Mm-hmm. We never questioned it then. They questioned this one because of how fast they claim the the vaccine. It it, it took to vac to develop the vaccine, mm-hmm. but in talking with Dwayne Henry, Dwayne Henry and and you know you know I like to read. Mm-hmm. This actually started back with SARS, didn't it? In, well, in, in actually, 2002? actually back with HIV. So if you look back HIV, at, at the oh, vaccine, so wow. I mean, when you said is this fascinating? It's the, the vaccine is mm-hmm. really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. The technology and it's incredible that we were able to use technology that had been researched for the past 20 years and trying to develop a vaccine for HIV mm-hmm. and the mRNA spike protein approach and quickly like pivot that to, okay, we can use that same technology that we know can work to uh, fight this particular virus. And it's been incredibly successful and, um, and saved, saved who knows how many lives, but at least millions of lives. No, the thinking, uh, Dr. Huntsies, and by the way, uh, Christine Letton has joined 
Jenna says she's hanging out on the couch, just you know, <laughs> processing everything, and you know, we'll, we'll get the we'll get the news release uh, down the road. Um, Doctor Hunt sees uh, the belief early on was you get the vaccine, your body building up immune. Uh, what was the term? The defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. What was it? Mm-hmm. Immu- immunity. We don't want sure. to, we don't want to use immunity. Immunity yeah. sounds like a so. I mean, I think of it as a map. It it gives your body a map to understand how to get to uh, fighting off the virus faster. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that's really kind of it primes your immune system so that when your immune system does come into contact with the virus, you're able to fight it faster and not get as sick. I like that. Now there are those Dr. Huntsiezer who believe in natural, right, immunity without the assistance of vaccine and all that stuff. Ex- explain the distinction there. There are those who have never taken the vaccine. Um, they may have been infected, and they believe that their body now is better off because they survived uh, a COVID nineteen infection. How, how do we, you know, mentally process all that? And I want the public to know that I respect everybody's position. We're not forcing anybody sure. to take anything. Right. Uh, I think that's yeah. very, very important. But some of us are, you know, embr- embrace this the science. Others, they say no. So, but but talk a little bit about that combination. Like for myself, right? I I got I, mm-hmm. I got I got the the series. I got a couple boosters. I I mm-hmm. had COVID, so I believe I got this combination sure. for a race of immunity inside of me in order to fight off this thing. But what really? How do we really, you know, process and legislate all of this from an educational standpoint? Okay, so if if you if you believe in prevention or treatment. So that, that's pretty much the difference between the vaccine um, and waiting for a natural sort of response because the vaccine is something that primes your system and puts the antibodies in place so that it's there. And when it sees the virus, while you might get symptoms, it'll start to, to attack that virus and, and really get you better a lot quicker and protect your body from the really, really, really awful or detrimental effects that might happen afterwards. Remember, this was a novel virus, mm-hmm. okay? What does that mean? Novel means that it was never introduced to the human host, the human body ever. So take that into consideration when you're talking about the regular common rhinovirus cold, okay? You can get a cold over and over and over again, and your body gets, a, you, you know, you, you kind of feel yucky, you get better in one to three days, okay? But this was something that was novel, that the body has never seen before, meaning that when, if you were exposed to this virus, your body, first of all, got so sick because they had never seen this before, and it was doing its best to, number one, get rid of the virus, so it's fighting to try to, you know, to stop the body from, you know, from feeling sick, but because the, the reason why, another reason why people really got ill and some died is because the immune system, the immune response was so severe and so massive that it was like a surge in the bloodstream in your body that the body really couldn't even handle. So it, take that into consideration where if you, so, so say you want to say, I just want the natural response. Well, your natural response without actually having a vaccine um, or a vaccine response, an initial, like, you know, the antibodies already there, is real risky because you don't know how your body is going to respond. You don't know if it's strong enough. And then everyone, you know, you know, will want to think, oh, well, you know, I'm taking immune boosters. 
that does not have anything to do with anything because the COVID virus is something so unique, but so unique to, to, the, to the human body that no matter what you could do, no matter how strong you think your immune system is, your immune system may not have been ready to actually overcome that infection and, and, and get you through it. Because, because, so, of, because of the novel nature is what you're talking about, Because right? of the novel nature, okay. which is why the vaccine was so important to prime the body to prevent it. Now, you know, now we're five years out, right? Which, which, okay. which, which I'm glad, I glad you went there. Because yeah. that's that, that going to yeah, be the segue. That's going to be the segue yeah. to the question I want to ask the commissioner. Commish, are we going to get federal funding to do the VI study? as it relates to how we dealt with the pandemic and, and, and um, COVID-19? Have you heard anything? Not necessarily uh, in reference to that. I know that we're doing a lot of, of health equity work, and so that will lead us to being applicable, to being able to get some funding. We actually are in the process is, Isn't of, a study necessary well, from, I think a public, from a public health perspective so that we From could, an epidemiologist standpoint. Okay. Um, yes, mm-hmm. for sure. And, but it's also important for us to tell our story. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we are, I think we have um, all the data that's needed within the Department of Health. And so we've spoken about this, but putting it in writing, and the governor has access to that as well. So tell the story about what's happened here within a territory mm-hmm. and be able to keep that um, to us so that we can actually compare it if something else happens, God forbid. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Dr. Ellis, we had a... A variable here, a dynamic here, where we became a vaccination destination early yeah, on. So, yeah. I, so I think I that story alone by itself, where you had folks mm-hmm. who didn't live here but were vacationing here, were lining up, mm-hmm. and knowing that at three thirty, four o'clock every afternoon there were vaccine doses. Well, vaccine, I, I think that actually Director Harris and I were talking about that just a couple of days ago, and the way that we managed COVID was the vaccines, was making vaccines accessible. But also, we did so much more than that. We actually got out there. We were in the project areas, um, and we were talking to the people face to face. So really, no, but I, I wasn't talking about your agency. Okay, your agency was doing a brilliant job. I'm talking about the public being aware of what was available. True. And folks hopping on plane. They said, I could get two birds with one stone. I could get sun and, and yeah. sand and a vaccine. And, we, and a vaccine. we were able to do that because of the boots on the ground process as well. Oh, that's look, that's at, look at what yeah. we did with the BVI. Oh the yes, we, came. we spoke. We spoke about that two weeks ago. Yeah, you we know, managed. We managed it. Delta. By that was that was during the, the Delta, Delta in, in, in two thousand twenty-one. They did not have the types of vaccine that they felt they needed. So, 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 so the UV, the, so USVI save the BVI. No, no, I, no, no, and no, we no, never no. do that. We never say we save them. We collaborated right. with them and helped. we helped them. Help them. Correct. And okay. I have to tell you that that um, can, the former can, minister can we don't like we don't like to give ourselves our flowers. We wait till after the fact, you know. So. <laughs> That's the reason why I'll take a break at the conversation again. Good. When we come back, we'll pick it up there. We'll also talk okay. about the, the media, we, right? We, the we press releases them and all that stuff. Supplies, so. yeah. Everything, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll Actually, we send folks over yes, there and train That's them right. on how to be do back, testing. Be, be back right after this. Right yes. after this. Okay. <laughs> 
I'm Aisha Roscoe, host of Weekend Edition Sunday, where we're not just interested in what's going on in the world, but why it's happening and how. Details are important, so are different points of view. We're dedicated to bringing you the stories behind the big events and the small ones, too. Join us every Sunday morning for Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Sundays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. News happens all week, all around the world. If you want to understand what this French election is all about... Four candidates are running unopposed, and three of them met reporters Thursday. Whatever the outcome of today's elections, the secessionist genie is out of the bottle. News, analysis, perspective, music, books, and sports, too. Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. Human beings have been making music for tens of thousands of years. It brings us together. It has the power to communicate emotions and ideas. It's a profound part of the human experience. Hear the stories behind the music you love and new music you might fall in love with. I'm Raina Duras. Join me for in-depth interviews with artists who are continuing that musical history on World Cafe. Weekdays at 10 p.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1. The PBS NewsHour has a rich legacy of in-depth reporting and strong storytelling. Only four people have sat in that chair before us, and the enormity of this moment is not lost on me. People turn to us because they know they can hear from trusted sources of information and news. That won't change a bit, even as the faces behind the desk change. Good evening, I'm Jeff Bennett. And I'm Amna Nawaz. Weekdays at 7 p.m. on WTJX-TV, Channel 12. And we're back here, analyzers, having an a awesome discussion, learning as we go um, with the um, Virgin Islands uh, Department of Health. Um, I do a quorum, I do a quorum call uh, with the table talk, so I can do a quorum call with all three, you know, and I can I can do it in a, in alphabetical order. Um, we're gonna start with um, Dr. Esther Ellis. Good morning, Dr. Esther Ellis. How are you? Good morning. Good. Wonderful. Good. And then we got. Um, Good morning, and good morning to the audience. Estate St. Peter's up there. And then uh, Dr. Tai Camille Hunt sees that. Dr. Hunt, how are you? Dr. Hunt, you there? Look like we lose Dr. Yeah. Hunt sees that. No, I'm here. Oh, Sorry, oh, oh, I was on mute. Oh, I had, had, me, had me panicking there for good a minute. Good thanks. No, and and, no panic. And, and uh, they're being policed this morning by Christine Lett. <laughs> she, she's making sure everybody says the right things and all that good stuff. So, so we're good. So, uh, first of all, um, there's been some press releases. Um, what do you say? Vital what? Vital, vital stats? Vital stats. The vital stats. The Virgin Islands Department of Health Office of Vital Records and stat, Stats mm-hmm. going fully digital in 2024. So, we're taking the next step, Commission. Yeah, that's something that. A big that, step. Yeah, big step. I have to tell you that we are one of two jurisdictions who have not been digital for vital stats and so it's really huge that we're able to do this so i want i I really want to commend dr lorraine benjamin matthew and her team for making this happen it was one of the first things that i put in front of her as a challenge and as as well as something that we know the governor 
and digitalization is one of his primary goals. And so we wanted to make this happen. And um, in March, um, we should have, uh, we actually started in December, mm-hmm. where we, the educational process and the implementation started. So it'll be fully um, open to, to actually to the community in March of this year as well. Now, now to me, the, the world is, is, is a, you know, we're, we're in full analytical mode. We got to show name, mm-hmm. analyze this and all that stuff. Back in 1993, <clears throat> so I, I was born in New York City. So I reached out to um, uh, the Office of Vital Statistics. I said, look, I need a brand new copy of my board paper. They hooked me up in no time. Mm-hmm. I want to do it now. I got to go through all kind of technological computer this. And, and, and I'm, I need a copy of my board paper, man. You know what I mean? This is, this they is, hooked you up in no time? In no time. And, and, and this is 1993. Was, this is pre-internet. Internet is 1994. Mm-hmm. They sent me my green and, board and, paper. And that was probably because you knew somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I at the time <laughs> at the time I was working in education, and I said, you know something, I need a, a copy of my board paper, and and I and I had it, and then you fold it up, and you keep it full for too long, and then the, mm-hmm. the crease them start to break, and then they tear apart. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, that, so 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 we need help for those of us. Remember now, Tita, you know about this, right? <laughs> um, and for those who are listening, we keep talking about the great migration that lasted 60, 70 years, Virgin Islanders who moved to New York City, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we need some kind of linkage for to help us, all of us, Hoban in Brooklyn, Harlem, the Bronx, wherever, that we could get our board paper. We need a board paper, man. I have to tell you something that um, I called Director Matthew just yesterday. Mm-hmm. We we're looking for a bird. We we're looking for death, actually. And she was all, all able to go online right there and access the information that we needed. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that what we're doing right now with VitalSat allows us to begin the HIE process. Mm-hmm. We're talking about health information exchange for many, many oh, that, years. That. This, is, so, this is music to my ears. Right. Health so, information exchange. exchange. That's what I want. So this gives us the ability to store information, pull information, and share information. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. So, uh, so at least I know that that uh, is, is taking place. Uh, Dr. Ellis, one of the things that you did early on was you kept talking about the epi team. Right? How's the epi team doing? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, this was something that was, you know, you, you always mentioned this when you came on because yeah. y'all was inundated with a lot of responsibility, a lot of work. Dr. Huntsiza talks about the novel nature of this virus. A lot of us were in panic mode. Anytime we heard somebody may have had it, we were wondering about, you know, proximity, all that mm-hmm. stuff. How's the epi team doing? They're great. You know, we love to work hard because um, uh, we've been working hard on lead. Mm-hmm. So and we, yeah. we really never stop. Um, there's always something to do in the community when it comes to epidemiology and prevention. I know we spoke earlier about long COVID and mm-hmm. working with the disparities group on doing a study on long COVID. So there's always, even if you don't hear about it right away, there's things in the background that we're doing. Um, we like to work hard and have fun. So, so right now we're um, moving over to St. Thomas, St. John. Uh, we're expanding the pediatric lead screening and uh, con- in a continuing effort to really develop a baseline of exposure for children six and under, um, which is the most vulnerable population for lead exposure. And pediatric lead screening is going to be provided there at no cost. Um, parental consent is required before the test can be administered. So we'll be going into the schools starting on Monday uh, on St. Croix, we tested over 1,270 children, and um, 
we did find three positives that mm. had uh, were confirmed through a venous blood draw that had lead, lead. Uh, yeah. in their in their blood, and we did home assessments at those homes, and we did find lead um, in cooking pots, commonly used cooking pots, and tile flooring, uh, where the children played a lot. Um, and so, the most important thing when you do identify lead in the blood of a child is one, identify the source so you can remove it from the household so they're no longer being exposed exposed to lead and also um, get them into care. Um, and so those two things were accomplished and uh, we will be retesting, then you retest um, one to three months later to see if those lead levels have now gone um, down to undetectable. Subsided, right? Or, or what's the term? Abated. Decrease. Abated, right? Yeah, decrease because... And we want it, it to be zero, but like Dr. Ellis says, you really have to take that source away. Now, one of the other things that we're doing is that we're speaking with Dr. Hunt Caesar, speaking with the private pediatricians, um, the practitioners in the federally qualified health centers as well, so that we could continue the testing. It's not just starting it, but it's actually be, being consistent. I always believe that consistency is actually what produces success. Mm-hmm. And um, we're also working with the Senate to ensure that we have acts in place that one mandates all um, practitioners to report to the Department of Health any increase in that level so that we could continue doing the tracking, going to, into the homes, test not only the water, but like Dr. Ellis says, the substances that are around that, are, that may be affecting that as well. And you know what? We're, we're speaking about patients um, zero to six, but we also have to speak about the pregnant woman and how that may affect them. And so right now, the practice is that, um, give me the numbers, Dr. Hunt-Caesar, in terms of the percentage of population that we are well 30 percent is what we're really looking at but in terms of the age group that we'll be testing on an annual basis i think it's six months six six months to nine, nine months to to 12 months nine months okay. to a year is when we should have um children routinely being tested and right. screened for lead and then we'll also be testing all of the head start um children mm-hmm. and that gives us the the continuous idea of what's happening so we work very closely with dpnr and wapa on on a regular basis to ensure that the numbers that we're looking at was consistent because to say that we have um high levels of of lead in the water because that's what we thought at first it proved differently when we started to test the patient, the, the children as well. And then, of course, that was validated when the retesting of the water was done. So we were able to compare what we're doing from a clinical and a technical standpoint. Now, now Dr. Hunt sees that numbers, right? You know, that's, that's something that I enjoy delving into. Um, and I remember our very first show, I think it was Esther and, and Tita at that point. First name basis, forgive me, but that's just how it, it is right now. Okay. And, and and um, I think it was Tita who said, we knew that St. Thomas, Charlotte, Mali would be <clears throat> more susceptible to infections because of population density, right? We spoke of that. We spoke correct? of that, right? Mm-hmm. Early on, right? So numbers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Again, now the numbers, Dr. Ellis, did you not just say that zero positives in St. John? For, for, for COVID, COVID right now. COVID. Yes. And, and Dr. Hunt sees that, isn't St. John the highest percentage of our population that are vaccinated? Correct. Mm-hmm. The numbers, you know, I mean, yep. Yep. it's not perfect. They don't tell the whole story, mm-hmm. but they don't like, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a reason why we must embrace the math and must embrace the science. Dr. Right. Hunt sees that, and then 
Uh, Esther Ellis, your take on, on why we should encourage the public to embrace the science. Well, I mean, the... the Not the, just because you, your parents pay a lot of money to send you to college, right? <laughs> 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 You're speaking to a scientist, so of course they're going to be like, embrace the science. Especially, especially one that specializes in that area. Yeah, so I mean, I am, you know, as a, as a medical provider and as a student, a student of medicine and a student of public health, we we're trained um, um, to to understand and and practice what we call evidence-based um, medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't do things just because it's anecdotal or because um, it's supposed to work. It's actually something that um, that the the field works together with researchers uh, and clinicians together um, to ensure that what we what we think. Um, and what should work in theory actually does work with uh, with proven research and um, in the in the field and with um, with clinical trials and that's that's what we uh, the process that we've used for all things all medicines all what, what we consider Western medicine to come up with um, with clinical for, for clinical practice and what I what I always like to try to to talk to to our our audience and our public uh, you know our our community members who uh, try to sometimes reject you know western medicine it, it it's not it's it's not something that that we should if you are a naturalist or if you want to embrace natural techniques these are things that that are studied as well you know most some of some of the the most highly effective treatments for um, for infections like really bad infections like malaria, are are like Chinese root based, okay? That um that that are that have been proven effective, and this is what we actually use to actually treat bad you know bad diseases. So it's it's not it's not something that people think that like oh vaccines are bad and they have all these bad things in it. You know these are things that we actually um, study from from the the naturally occurring elements that are that are in the environment. And we study them, and just just because it's studied and it's actually proven and it's commercialized to be to be used, doesn't mean that it that it's something that is not natural or or it's against what what we are considered natural medicine. And the two don't have to to um, have to don't, don't are not like you know mutually exclusive. It's not independent. It's something that we should continue to um, to use together, especially in the form of the preventative. Um, from, from 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 prevention, which is a you know our one of our main themes uh, in public health. And and Dr. Ellis, you know, I learned this word efficacy, right? <laughs> and, and, and Dr. Bronco Hendricks actually had to reach out to me and cycle pronounce it correctly. Did I pronounce it correctly? Yes, yes. Efficacy, <laughs> yes, you did, yeah. And that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, looking for a desired result, but we're doing that based on data or yeah. data, depending exactly. on what. Exactly. And so, I mean, what I do really is data-driven decision-making. And as the epidemiology division, we're responsible for collecting the data, storing it, sharing it with the public. And so a lot of what um, Epi and the states and as as well as here is moving towards uh, are called data dashboards so that everybody can see the data in real time. Um, We do have a COVID data dashboard that's going to be released soon so that it's just as, as soon as tests are done and positives come in or negatives it's uh you just go to the website and you see exactly what's happening same with flu same with rsv and um it's just making the data publicly accessible as well instead of 
um, releasing, you know, weekly reports or, or um, various at various intervals, the public can see and be involved in part of that decision as well. Now, Tita, I want to ask you this question though, before you before you respond. There. What was it about what we were doing that by May, I remember by May of 2020, we were in some instances not suffering from COVID. I know we had the lockdown and all that stuff, but we really did a good job in that first six, seven weeks. Uh, I think that one of the things that we did is is um, through the governor's office or the task force. So we met daily. So everyone knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So tourism was on the call. Um, education was on the call. So we were speaking to each other on a daily basis. And we were preparing each other. We were tracking Looking at data again, mm-hmm. what was happening in what was happening in the in Europe and in, in other parts of the world? What was happening in the mainland? Because we know it trickles down here, it trickled down to Puerto Rico, then it came to us. So we were able to plan, we were able to make decisions, and, and uh, to me, um, in a way that prevented um, more deaths because our in, in projection was high, and uh, like the governor said, yeah, I mean they three, had a, they had us um, later on that year at. Suffering big time between September and December of 2020. It, it was it it was numbers that scared us, yeah. but it didn't stop us. Yeah. Because if if we were paralyzed by what we were hearing, then we would not have been successful. But but it goes to show, right? Not all models. It is not one size Correct. fit all. Yeah. Like half the population <laughs> separated by water. Right. You know what I'm saying? So they were just thinking of applying. And, and that. in the end, we were at the third lowest death rate, which of is course. incredible. Right. Yeah, and man. Part of what makes living here and being here so unique and wonderful is our connection to each other mm-hmm. and our like our deep rooted kind of community um, sense. And so because of that, we had um, access to monoclonal antibody therapy. We had access to the Paxlovid, whatever therapy was working at the time. We actually um, were recognized in getting that out to the community faster than other states were doing because, well, because I think our our numbers are the number of people we have within the territory um, as assisted as well and I have to tell you that Dr. Huntsiezer played a major role in that and mm-hmm. I want to give kudos also to the communicable disease team that was out there on a daily basis along I, with Epi I, I, to I, I am so upset that we didn't do the hour and a half like we normally used to do but um, oh, time is going come back again before the fear okay okay <laughs> thank you Dr. Huntsiezer uh, great contribution this morning. Thank you, um, Dr. Esther Ellis. She's a crew channel. My pleasure, my pleasure. Christine Lett, thanks for being the police, keeping us together. <laughs> and uh, Tita, always good to see you, okay? Always good to be here. Enjoy the day for the, re- the rest of the day. Be good and be safe. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters.
Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. You got it.